This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Let's hit it! Give me a vacation! Vacation! Give me a wave! Surfing! Give me a city tour! The trolley! Give me animals! The zoo! Give me some sea life! <laughs> Give me museums! Park. Give me a woo! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hello and welcome to Saver, production of iHeartRadio. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we have an episode for you about Redwall. Yes. Oh, it's a fictional foods for the ages. (laughs) It truly is. Hoofda. Yes, we had so much fun researching this. We were just talking about it before we started recording. How much fun we had and how originally we were kind of batting around ideas about what the next fictional food will be and if you're worried spongebob will it will happen we just thought we had done too many animated animated series recently um and also downton abbey will definitely happen don't worry don't worry yes but we i went with this one because of the listener mail hannah sent to us and i was just so kind of delighted by the whole thing so thank you so much hannah for sending that that message but of you know, rereading these books during the pandemic and making the meals yeah. from them as you're rereading them and listening to the audio podcast. And it just sounded so nice and cute. Right, right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of right. Like I was like, I was like, oh man, like I don't know if I can, I don't know if I can go to Downton Abbey right now. Like I don't know if I can mm-hmm. go to that place because <laughs> I, I like stopped watching the show because it was so upsetting. <laughs> And I was like, I don't want to be there right now. I want to (laughs) be. And I had never read any of the Redwall books. Like, um, I know you grew up reading them, but I had never read any of them. So I was like, it sounds like such a nice thing to like sit down Mm -hmm. and read this like children's book on my couch right now. Yes, which I love that you did. Um, (laughs) But we were worried there wasn't going to be enough material for this. And the outline is nine pages long. Yep. So. There was plenty. Uh huh. <laughs> I did. I did read these as a kid and loved them. Although you and I also had a fun conversation wherein I remember this one cover specifically of a mouse in jeans and a leather jacket with a helmet on, which I love. If and no one knows, if anyone is like, "What are you talking about?" Yeah, we'll get into it in a minute. But. You said that that might not even be Redwall. That might be another book. Yeah, I don't think that that's because I. I mean, I. To be fair, I've only read the first book now, and there are twenty two of them. So, like, there's a, a a great portion of of the work that I'm unfamiliar with on a personal level. However, I strongly believe that that's the Mouse and the Motorcycle, which is an E. B. White book. That would make sense given the 
cover that I remember. With um, a motorcycle on it, yeah. <laughs> and the I mouse. Don't, and the mouse. I don't think that there are any motorcycles in. Y'all write in. Let me know. <laughs> yes, yes. Please let us know. I did read them, though. Like, I remember reading Red Wall specifically, not just the motorcycle one. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> that's probably not involved at all. Um, uh-huh. I remember them being really fun and quick and pretty easy reads, fairly comforting. Um, a lot of people have written a lot about the food in these books. Even articles not about the food in the books mention the food in the books. Every every piece of writing that I've read about them mentions the food. Every single one. Yes. And actually, the authors spoke about why that is, which I love. Um, and before we get into explaining what could be a very confusing thing if you have no idea what we're talking about. Um, (laughs) You can see our past fictional food episodes, um, perhaps particularly the Chronicles of Narnia. This was giving me kind of similar vibes, similar vibes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But, but right. So, so right. Uh, uh, I, I did read the first book in the series, which is, which is called Red Wall. And um, I read it like Sitting on my some, sometimes my roommate, um, one of my roommates, Jed, and I have these nights where we're both just sitting on our couch, like independently reading things on our phones. And, uh, you know, I mean, sometimes like I'm on Twitter and he's on Reddit, but like for the most part, it's like like we're like reading comic books or something and just having like a nice, quiet evening together. And um, so I was doing that with this first Redwall book and like just kept laughing out loud and being like, my dude, I have to read this passage to you. And because it was so dear, it was just like really nice. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, and one of them that I, that I did mark in the book and that I just kind of like want to highlight at the top here is like why, (laughs) like why I'm tickled by this episode and why it's heckin nine or 10 pages long. Um, One of those lines is, we can't sit about here all day like two fat rabbits at a celery chew. <laughs> yes. There's so much stuff like that that like, is just <laughs> said as if it's fact. If yeah. People talk that way and it, it is very, very sweet. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But so that being said... <laughs> Does this bring us, this probably really does bring us to our question. I know that there is at least one human out there who was deeply confused at this juncture. (laughs) Yes. And for you, one human, we will (laughs) arrive at our question. Redwall. What is it? Well, uh, Redwall is a media series stemming from a children's fantasy novel by the same name that was first published in 1986, written by Brian Jacks. He wrote 22 novels in the series, prequels and sequels and related tales, with the last being published just after his death in 2011. Uh, Redwall is also the name of a place central to the series, Redwall Abbey. Uh, so named for its for its red sandstone construction. And uh, this abbey is located in the pastoral moss flower country um, and is home to an order of uh, anthropomorphic mice who espouse peace and community and the simple pleasures of life. Um, and the series is about them and their animal friends and their adventures uh, battling when need be the forces of evil, those other animals that are bent on greed and suffering and general meanness. <laughs> yeah, the villains are very, like, over-the-top, one-note Oh yeah, villain. yeah. <laughs> The good guys are very good. The villains are very villainous. And, yes. you know, like right down to their names, like like the like the good badger in the first book is Constance. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, that's her name. And like the bad guys have names like Rage Ear and like <laughs> stuff. Like I'm like, what are you doing? It's so cute. I love it. <laughs> Oh, um, okay. Uh, the main series is uh, mid- middle grade, like it's meant for kids aged like eight and up or so. Um, though Jax also wrote a number of picture books and trivia books about the world, one of the picture books is specifically about a feast in Redwall Abbey, and the illustrations were drawn in pastel on butcher paper, so that's just heckin' cute. Mm-hmm. Um 
A few stories from the series were adapted into an animated TV show out of Canada that originally ran from 1999 through 2002. And recently, Netflix bought the rights to all 22 books for another animated film and some serieses, yeah, mm-hmm. um, which mm-hmm. are in development. More about that later. There have also been a series of adventure video games um, recently, actually published in 2018, a dang opera uh, that came out in 1998. Um, Mm. (laughs) Jax was a big fan of opera. It's a whole thing. Um, Okay. (laughs) But uh, more pertinent, perhaps, to our interests here, this is a food show, uh, Mm. Jax wrote a cookbook based in the universe and uh, more on that in 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 a moment as well. Um, Jax was born in Liverpool, England on June 15th of 1939, and he lived there most of his life. Um, he was three and four years older, coincidentally, um, than Paul McCartney and George Harrison, uh, respectively, who went to the same school and had the same English teacher, um, who, it would turn out, uh, didn't just inspire Jakes to read and write, um, but actually showed a draft of Redwall to a publisher. For the first time, leading to a five-book contract that led to the phenomenon that we know today. Uh, But that wouldn't happen until Jake's was over 40 years old. Uh, Because, okay, so after school, uh, he held a number of working-class jobs. A sailor, fireman, longshoreman, truck driver. He also did stand-up comedy, um, began his writing career with stage plays. He hosted a weekly radio show called Jake's Town um, from 1980 through 2006. It was local to Liverpool and featured an opening song about Liverpool, which mentioned the stew, Scouse, and how if you've not had his mamas, you haven't lived yet. Uh, (laughs) mm -hmm. Uh, Legend has it that Redwall was born while Jakes was working as a delivery truck driver in Liverpool in the early 80s. Um, One of his routes had him deliver milk to Liverpool's uh, Royal Wavertree School for the Blind. And he was invited in for a cup of tea and to read to the kids one day. And dissatisfied with the teen angst that he found in the stories, he wanted to write a story for them, um, one that would be lush with description, um, not just of sights, but sounds and smells and textures and tastes, and brimming with adventure, uh, like the stories that he grew up with. And yeah, uh, food just really is a, a, a binding thread through the books. Um, like I said, I, I've only read the first one. But, like, food is mentioned on the first page and on the last page. Um, and, and specifically, the, the tending of crops and the preparation of food is set not just as a necessity, but as a, as a manifestation of kindness and caring for your community and your home and yourself. Uh, there, there's a prolonged siege of the Abbey in that first book. And one of the things that Jake's mentions frequently throughout is that there are characters that are bringing food to the front lines. Um, like, it becomes a plot point that the characters do this. Uh, it always it always fascinates me what fantasy adventure books choose to focus on. Um, and, and, and food, from celebratory feasts to, like, simple hardtack, is just ever-present as, as physical and emotional nourishment. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. I feel like those scenes... When I look back at these books I read as a kid, or even even older, but I just remember, especially those kind of like feast scenes or those yeah. scenes like the meal before the big battle where yeah. everyone's nervous and there's always like that bonding over food and kind of the, yeah, you know, you haven't lived until you tried my mother's stew or whatever, that kind of sharing of yourself and memories yeah. through this in these like emotional emotionally charged moments. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Well, speaking of, we mentioned it already, but the Red Wall Cookbook, written by Jakes and illustrated by Christopher Denise, was published in 2005. And it is split into four sections, one for each season. Um, And each season is announced with a poem. And each recipe comes with a label indicating whether or not adult supervision is required. So it is very much (laughs) aimed towards children. Uh uh Um, The book opens with a cute poem from Skipper of Otters about kitchen safety, including the line, Some dads are good cooks, too. (laughs) Oh, That is very old-fashioned, but sure. It is. Cool. (laughs) It is. 
Um, the description reads, Ever read a Redwall novel and wonder exactly what Abbott's special Abbey trifle is? Or how to make shrimp and hot root soup the delicacy of otters everywhere? Or Mole's favorite turnip and tater deeper never pie? <laughs> There's a lot of in <laughs> apostrophe in going on here. Yeah. It's kind of tripping me up, but... <laughs> From the simple refreshment of summer strawberry fizz to Great Hall Gooseberry Fool, they're all here, along with dozens of other favorites sure to turn young hands into seasoned chefs illustrated in full color with all the charm and magic that is Redwall. A gift like no other for fans of the series, old or new. Aww. It is cute. Um, you can get, I was looking on Amazon to get like a sample and you can you can see some of the pages and it is really sweet. Um in the forward, Jake's wrote about growing up during the time of World War II, where many foods were difficult to find, if not outright unobtainable, and how as a child he'd read through his mother's cookbooks, um, salivated at the illustrations, um, or he would feel this surge of annoyance when a book from the library contained a feast scene. Um, and I was confused by this at first, but he clarified he was annoyed because there was no description of the feast, <laughs> of the dishes, of what they looked like and how they tasted, descriptions that he wanted. So he said he wanted to, quote, put things right in the Redwall series, claiming that the food is just as important to the saga as anything else. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And just as Jake set out to do, feasts are indeed a very important part of the saga, a space for bonding and connecting over food, like Abbott Mortimer's Golden Jubilee, which Abbott graced thusly, so they said a grace, and it mm -hmm. went like this. Fur and whisker, tooth and claw, all who enter by our door. Nuts and herbs, leaves and fruits, berries, tubers, plants and roots. Silver fish whose life we take only for a meal to make. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, there's a lot of rhyming throughout. Yeah, yeah. Throughout. <laughs> and there's also throughout just pages and pages of characters discussing food they've eaten and, of course, preparing this food and eating it and enjoying it. And as this suggests, uh, these quotes suggest, plenty of our real-world foods do exist in this fictional one. One big one is cheese, which makes sense, I suppose, given the whole mice-loving cheese thing we see so much in children's media. <laughs> uh, I, I guess th this might count as like the shortest Lawrence Killjoy corner ever, but real-world mice don't particularly like cheese. They'll, they're they're, they're going to go for carbs first. Like, they'll eat anything, but like they're going to yeah. go for carbs first. Yeah, and I know I know you talked about that in a past episode. I was trying to remember which one. Oh, uh, maybe um, cheddar or did we do one on sweat? I don't know. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, just where this whole idea came from. I think it might have been, yeah, Swiss cheese. But anyway, uh, <laughs> interesting stuff. You know, the Saver crew, we're always looking into these, these conundrums <laughs> of trying to get to the bottom of things. Right, right. I, I guess I guess cheese is also a very um, uh, English, uh, like good, like yeah. homey kind of kind of food so yes and speaking of many of the foods included in Redwall are these kind of homey and comforting and warm and nostalgic foods simple foods you might say described with such love like even though they're simple they're described in a way that sound that sounds fabulous anything but yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um and they they do tend towards being just a touch fantastical um incorporating right both real world ingredients and familiar dishes and like woodlandy ingredients and dishes that sound like like they should exist but they definitely don't Right, right. It's it's again, it reminds me of what we talked about in Chronicles of Narnia, the fictional foods episode we did on that, where there's so much of it that just sounds like you forged it and it's from the woods and thus it's so <laughs> sustaining. But yeah. even though it's like from our world, it does sound fantastical. Like, yeah, <laughs> like like you're you're just like oat cakes, and I'm like, ooh, oat cakes, like that. <laughs> yes. Yes. There's How definitely fantastic. a cake. I made know. Of oat. I know there, and there's definitely a layer for me as an American child who yeah. grew up reading a lot of British fantasy. Sure, that that does sound even more fantastical. Right, right. <laughs> yes. Um, okay. So here's another quote that gives a real sense of these feasts um, that we hear so often about in these series. This one's from the seventh book, The Bell Maker. 
It was a joyous meal for honest creatures. Dishes were passed to be shared, both sweet and savory. October ale and strawberry cordial, tarts, pies, flans, and puddings. Served out and replaced by fresh delights from Redwall's kitchens. Turnovers, trifles, breads, fondants, salad, pasties, and cheeses alternated with beakers of green sap milk, mint tea, rosehip cup, and elderberry wine. Mm. I mean... Yeah. That sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This dude loves a list as much as we do. Um, yes. yes. And and it is it is unrelenting. Um, from uh, a, I believe the sixth book, Martin the Warrior, dishes went this way and that from paw to paw, snow cream pudding, hot fruit pies, colorful trifles, tasty pasties, steaming soup, new bread with shiny golden crusts, old cheeses studded with dandelion, acorn, and celery, sugared plums and honeyed pears vied for place with winter salads and vegetable flans. It just sounds so comforting to me. Oh. Okay, here's another quote from the second book, The Moss Flower. You'll like Goody Stickle. Wait till you taste her spring vegetable soup or her oat and honey scones piping hot and oozing butter or her apple and blackberry pudding with spices and cream or just her new yellow cheese with hot oven bread and a stick of fresh celery I and a bowl of milk with nutmeg grated on top of it. Mm-hmm. I think I would like Goody Stickle. <laughs> I, I think I would too. Mm-hmm. Oh, um, and and there's also a, a strong element of the politics and morality of food and eating habits in the books as well, partially because, I mean, the characters are woodland creatures, and some of them are carnivores, the villains, mostly, um, mm-hmm. uh, because, like, like gluttony and, and even heavy drinking aren't particularly maligned as long as there's plenty to go around, but there is a focus on, like, class politics and hunger awareness and making sure that everybody has enough. I will say, though, the carnivore thing is weirder the longer that you think about it. Because, okay, like, in this world, uh, fish are not anthropomorphic, but birds are, and, like, bees are. So you can eat fish, but not birds. And you have to ask the bees to share their honey, which involves learning the bee language. Of course. Um, of course. But they eat custards. Um, and if birds are people, where do they get the eggs? Or mm. do they use like a plant-based egg substitute? I don't know. I have some of that in my fridge. Um, <laughs> like, And they have lots of dairy products, but I didn't read about any cows in the abbey. And anyway, mm. how, how the heck would mice milk cows? <laughs> And if it's not cows that they're milking, like, pretty much all the mammals that are spoken about are anthropomorphic. So, like, what? This is one of my very favorite silly things that people do, including me, who is a big fan of stuff and analyzes everything. (laughs) Where I love, like, one of my favorite interviews I've ever seen was when Jon Stewart interviewed George Lucas and said... (laughs) Hey, it doesn't really make sense that, like, how did Darth Vader not sense that it was Leia, was his daughter? And George Lucas paused and he said, I don't know. (laughs) 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 Um, But it's been on my mind a lot lately because there's just been so many movies coming out lately kind of criticizing mm, (laughs) movies and also, like, phantom of movies. Yeah. Um, And then also... Uh, uh, recently over on the other podcast I do, Stuff I Never Told You, we did an episode on The Problem of Susan, which if you haven't heard about it, it's really interesting. It's kind of like, if you're reading the story, it's pretty graphic, so not for younger people. But um, uh, Yeah, uh, th- this is uh, talking about Susan from The Chronicles of Narnia. It's a short right. story that um, that Neil Gaiman wrote that right addresses, right. Um, and I think that we talked about it a little bit in our did, yeah. Narnia episode, but just like, like, hoofda. Like, she doesn't get into heaven because she likes lipstick. That's weird. Yeah, but it was really interesting because a lot of the interviews with him, it was kind of like, he just didn't perhaps anticipate that we would read so much into that, oh, sure. which I'm not saying is right or wrong, but it's yeah, just kind yeah, of yeah. <laughs> funny yeah. to me. Like, oh, absolutely. 
Yeah. yeah. Um, it's a different podcast, but I totally hear you, Lauren. <laughs> you start thinking about it. Going, yeah. <laughs> one more example, because it's one of my favorites. I can't remember if I've ever mentioned it on this show before, but um, in an interview about Star Trek The Next Generation, um, one of the Oh goodness, like writer producers. I believe it was I believe it was Rick Berman um was asked. Uh so for the for the for, for the for the transporters, you guys have, you know, like like the transporters involved this piece of technology called a Eisenberg uncertainty compensator because mm-hmm. of Eisenberg's uncertainty principle, which would say that transporters can't work. Um right. and so he was asked about it, and the interviewer was like, How did how how does how does that work, man? Mm-hmm. And dude was like, very well, thank you. Next question. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, I love it. It's funny. I, anyway. I, I I do love analyzing this stuff, so I'm not critiquing it in any way. I just find it kind of funny. Yeah, yeah. And okay, so actually after, ba- back to Redwall though, um, uh, after I wrote all of this out with like many question marks in mm-hmm. our outline, um, I kept doing reading about the series um, and I saw aphid milk being extended as a possibility for how okay. they were obtaining milk. But yeah. then apparently... Jake's himself addressed this online at some point, um, saying that it's all plant, plant saps, plant sap-based milks. Yeah. And based on that, I'm not entirely sure that he understood how plant-based milks work, but that's fine. (laughs) That's fine. It's not usually made from a sap. It's usually, that's okay, though. I'm not going to nitpick to that level. Yeah. Yeah, He had it. He had it. He had thought about it. He had an answer. Yeah, well, that's one of the other funny parts to me, too, is especially in something that gets so popular, you get these critiques, and, like, now Star Wars has explained all these questions fans had that it's right, very clear. Right, They're that, like, oh, well, we didn't mean that about the Kessel Run. We meant this other right, thing. Right, exactly. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. <laughs> exactly. Oh, my goodness. We're such nerds. I love it. Um, I did want to throw in here when I saw you typing this out, I thought of the Nirvana song, It's Okay to Eat Fish, because they don't have any feelings. Oh. So, you know, maybe there's some kind of weird thing happening Ooh. here. Okay. Um, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Well, <laughs> speaking of, <laughs> what about the nutrition? <laughs> don't eat books. Definitely don't eat media series. Um, I mean, Can't consume them yeah. in your brain. Yeah. Although there is there is a quote, there is um, an an extended metaphor within the first book um, from uh, Methuselah, who's this older. Um, a member of the Abbey who um, kind of trickles down these little pearls of wisdom to the main character, who's a young young mouse um, just coming into himself. And mm. uh, he <laughs> compares, Methuselah compares um, knowledge to to food and how you gotta you gotta you gotta eat it, you gotta eat it up and, di- and, 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 and digest it and really, you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like that. I'm actually definitely. Um, somebody who I like to sit on a, an idea and sleep on it because I think my brain really digests it yeah. in the night. So I'm on board. There you go. Yeah. Um, we do have some numbers for you. Uh-huh. Okay. So there is a Redwall Feast bot on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there is. Um, at Redwall Feast that posts about a food or feast from the series every day and like, when I was writing this, I went to check and there was something posted that day. So Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um and, and these aren't to specify this is a bot. It's not like it's not like drawing right. actual quotes from the books. Um, like the 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 these posts are written by the bot. Um mm-hmm. the account has just shy of sixteen thousand followers. Um, two that have been posted within the past twenty-four hours as of this recording. Um uh <laughs> It's called Elderberry and Larkspur Cordial. Very nice with hazelnut pudding and gooseberries. Go on, fill your plate. Mm-hmm. And then a second one. Uh, they set out shrimp and mushroom bake in a parsley and turnip sauce, placed baked apples stuffed with candied chestnuts, served with meadow cream on trays, and filled a pitcher with golden cider. I mean, that sounds good, too. <laughs> Which, I mean, it's it's very close. It's very close. It's a very good bot. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, side note about meadow cream because this is a this is a food item that shows up in the books. Um, enough 
that fans asked Jake's about it at one point, and he responded, Meadow cream is cream flavored with the honey and sweet herbs of the meadow, or any alternative you want to try. (laughs) Oh, that sounds nice, too. I know. Oh, well, as you mentioned earlier, Lauren, in February 2021, Netflix announced they were making a Red Wall series. And they announced this via like a sub-brand tweet, um, like like at Netflix Geeked tweeted this out. Um, the tweet got over 47,000 likes and it mentioned food. Yep. Uh, the tweet read in, in, in whole, big news, the creator of Over the Garden Wall is working on a Redwall adaptation for Netflix. I'm already preparing myself for the feast scenes. Yes, yes. And that's. When I said earlier, every article I read about this mentioned food, even if it wasn't about the food. This, like, Netflix yeah. thing, everybody was already like, I'm going to make this when I watch it. I'm yeah. going to drink this when I watch it. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's it's very, it's very interesting to me. Um, mm-hmm. Also, if y'all haven't watched Over the Garden Wall, it is well and truly bonkers in a very sweet way. So this is extremely exciting news. Um, uh, the the Redwall wiki, uh, redwall.fandom.com, did a brief interview with Over the Garden Wall creator Patrick McHale in April of 2021 following this news. And he professed um, having been a fan of the books as a kid. Um, he said he wasn't a big reader, but, but Redwall and like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and The Hobbit and Winnie the Pooh were all up there for him um, and said that he was... At, at that point, working on the screenplay. So that Ooh. is the news that I have. Mm-hmm. Um, and worldwide, the books have sold over 30 million copies. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's a whole thing. It I is mean, a whole is a, thing. <laughs> a lot of buildup to say. It's a whole <laughs> thing. And food is very important mm-hmm. to this whole thing. Um, and we did want to give some specific examples Yes, of some of these dishes. And we will get into that after we get back from a quick break for a word from our sponsors. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. And, okay, um, may I start this section with, like, a kind of lengthy quote? Please. Yeah, I mm-hmm. I don't I, I'm never sure how much we can get away with quoting and things like mm. this. But we are talking substantially about like the meat, no pun intended, or no heck it pun intended. Sure, <laughs> let's just go ahead and say that. Um uh mm-hmm. of these books. And so um I wanted to um to write to 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 illustrate the type of um conceptualization of of food and of food production. That, that these books um, talk about. So, yeah, this is from pretty early in, in the first book. Down long ages, the beautiful old abbey had stood for happiness, peace, and refuge to all. Diligent mice tended the neat little vegetable patches, which every season gave forth an abundance of fresh produce. Cabbages, sprouts, marrows, turnips, peas, carrots, tomatoes, lettuces, and onions all in their turn— Flower beds, heady and fragrant with countless varieties of summer blooms from rose to humble daisy, were planted by the mice and husbanded by the hard-working bee folk, who, in their turn, rewarded Redwall with plentiful supplies of honey and beeswax. The two friends wandered onwards, past the pond. Gradually, they made their way around the big old chestnut trees into the orchard. This was the abbot's favorite spot. Many a leisurely nap had been taken on sunny afternoons, with the aroma of ripening fruit hovering in his whiskers. Apples, pears, quince, plums, damsons, even a vine of wild grape on the warm red stone of a south-facing wall. Old Mother Nature's blessing lay upon a haven of warm friendliness. Oh, <laughs> It's just heckin' wholesome as heck! Yeah, it's so... From the earth and this care that of yeah. tending to something and and so seasonal and fresh and yeah, it just has kind of that vibe of when you plant something and it and you because tend you planted it. it. Yeah. yeah. It just feels taste more like wholesome and special and yeah. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Um, so, okay, so so upon that basis of, like, this, like, very, like, from the earth 
uh, and of the earth and salt of the earth kind of kind of vibe. Um, we get these dishes. Yes, and I wanted to start with <laughs> deeper and ever turnip and tater and beetroot pie. <laughs> It's just so fun, so fun um, linguistically. Yeah. Uh, this dish was an extremely popular dish at feast. Moles in particular adored it, and it was very, very filling. It was quite a large dish composed of turnips, beans, beets, and potatoes, often served with a side of tomato chutney. Um, and given that this dish appeared in most of the nostalgic articles I read about this series, it must have made quite the impression. I think it's partially that that title. It's just yeah. so dear. It's just that's just very darling. Yes, that was in my experience. The food item that was mentioned was that one. Mm -hmm. The drink item was the strawberry cordial. Yeah, which we will talk about. Yeah. Then there's grayling a la red wall. <laughs> This is also from the first book in the series. A couple of the main characters managed to catch this epic fish for a feast. And uh, then one of the friars sets about preparing it. And here's a quote. Bring the white gooseberry wine. Fetch me some rosemary thyme, beech nuts, and honey quickly. And now, friends, he squeaked, waving a dandelion wildly with his tail. <laughs> I, Hugo, will create a grayling a la redwall, such as will melt in the mouth of mice. Fresh cream. I need lots of fresh cream. Bring some mint leaves, too. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously, Friar Hugo, being the legendary chef where he's the viewpoint of the, the cookbook we mentioned earlier also. Right, so. yeah, yeah. Huh. Yes, he sounds like an interesting fellow. <laughs> <laughs> very passionate about his job. Very, very passionate. Then there's spicy hot root soup, which is a dish uh, favored by the otters, but enjoyed by all. It's made up of water shrimp, onions, leeks, and a spicy sauce called hot root pepper, sometimes with additions like potatoes, horseradish, garlic, Bulrush, Maristel, Reed Mace, Starwort, and Burr Reed. Um, it is also used as one of the ingredients of Phantom Warrior Soup. Mm -hmm. Along with parsley wine, treetop broth, ransom, and winter rose hips. Which is, a lot of this was really fun because it was kind of a game of, is this a real ingredient or a made-up ingredient? Yeah. Yeah, right? I, I googled a number of things. I was like, is snow cream pudding a thing in England? Mm -hmm. Like, is do I just not know about that? And then I'm like, oh, no. No, he just made that up. That's just... Right. I mean, because there is snow cream, which is like a southern uh, uh, United States dish where you take fresh snow and you put uh, sweetened condensed milk on it. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but uh, but that's not but it's not a pudding. Or I mean, I right. guess it's like a pudding in the concept of a dessert. But yeah. it wasn't oh. snowing at the time in Redwall. Anyway, I'm thinking too much about this again. I love it. I love it. And we're going to talk about the confusion around pudding in the U.S. and America and the U.S. and America, the U.S. and UK and what we mean. Ooh. At some point. Yeah, yeah. Um, but right, right. Uh, uh, there there are recipes out there for, and I think in the cookbook, um, for uh, shrimp and hot root soup. So yes. you, can, yes. you can make that one if you want to. One of them sounded so good to me. It was kind of like a kimchi. Yeah, uh, I yeah, I think that yeah. was a fan-based one, but it sounded mm -hmm. amazing. In these books, there's another spicier version of hot root pepper called red firebrand pepper from lands across the sea. Um, concentrated hot root pepper is used as sort of a hot sauce as well, so I'm okay. into that. Yeah. In one of the books, there is a hot root soup eating contest that is won by Abbas Bale. Um, oh, there's not much on this one, but I love the name. It's called Bubbling Bobs. Okay. Uh, yeah. It's an otter dumpling soup with leeks, white turnips, parsley, and other wild herbs um, with the dumplings themselves composed of carrot juice, corn flour, rolled oats, and shrimp. And I love, again, like if anybody dropped into the middle of this podcast and you didn't know what we were talking about, just the otters <laughs> love this one, the moles, you yeah. know, not so much. <laughs> what? You know. <laughs> you know. You know how otters love leek soup that's what yes oh. obviously 
Uh, then there are candied chestnuts. Uh, these are very popular snacks, especially beloved by children, or dibbins, as they're called in this series. And they are often given to sick children or children who have behaved well. Birds love them, too, and mm-hmm. sometimes would exchange their service of spying for some candied chestnuts. Yeah, totally. Why not? Mm-hmm. And then going back to that whole pudding thing, there is a dessert pudding called Skilly and Duff. With <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea what this could be. Um, with Skilly being a thick, sweet sauce and Duff being pudding or dough, perhaps a boiled dumpling type situation. It was primarily made by shrews, but water creatures sometimes made it too. Uh, it can have a wide range of ingredients like arrowroot, damsons, plums, chestnuts, and blackberries. However, there is a savory version with seafood, potatoes, sea salt, and pepper. And the, yeah, again, this is outside the scope of this episode, but I had to read a whole <laughs> article about what pudding means here versus the UK. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Got it. Okay. Um, Captain Slip attempted to make Skilly and Duff from memory in the book The Bellmaker, but it was, alas, a bit of a disaster. Oh, no. Oh, mm, no. Indeed. Indeed. And then, moving on to drinks. Again, drink items we have in our real world exist in this one, too, like ale and wine, though often with a little twist that makes them, yes, a bit more fantastical. The drinks at Redwall Abbey are typically brewed by the cellar master, a position most often held by a hedgehog. Yeah, hedgehogs, the books imply, tend a little bit towards drunkenness um, in like an endearing way. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and they're very like proud of this profession. Yeah. Yeah. Um, All right. So (laughs) as mentioned, Another item that popped up frequently during the research for this was strawberry cordial, also called strawberry fizz, which is a beverage that appears in almost every book in the series. It's a must at feast, particularly name day, the day that abbot or abbess names the season, which is kind of a whole thing. Yeah, it's a whole thing. We'll say that. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Dibbins love this drink because it's sweet and it's fizzy. It's usually served cold and the color is mostly clear, perhaps with a light tint, since it has to be strained before serving. Yeah, I I think that the strawberry cordial is used to make the strawberry fizz. And cordials in this instance are not referring to an alcoholic beverage, but rather a like slightly syrupy sweetened fruit drink. Yeah. Yes. Um, But there's also something called October Nut Brown Ale, (laughs) Mm -hmm. which is a foamy, dark brown drink that is kind of fussy. Um, It is kept in barrels and needs constant tapping and tasting, although I couldn't tell. (laughs) I think that's according to the cellar masters in question. (laughs) I think that that they're like, oh, man, we really have to keep an eye on that October ale. We better go down and uh, try a little bit more of that just to to make sure, just to make sure. Yes, yes. It's all on the up and up, we assure you. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, it is a storied beverage that was being made before Redwall Abbey was built. Um, It is brewed and fermented during autumn, and the recipe and methods of the brewing are a source of pride amongst those who brew it, and thus kept secret. Like strawberry cordial, it is a staple at meals and feast, the inspiration behind many ballads, Um, and it goes very well with cheese. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I love that, ballads. (laughs) And then a few honorable mentions. There's buttercup and honey cordial, dandelion and burdock cordial, apple cider, nut brown beer, shrew beer, cup of cheer, (laughs) which is a very sweet and very fizzy wine composed of rhubarb and honey, and a variety of grogs. Seaweed (laughs) grog, shark tooth grog, scorpion sting grog, old turtle beet grog. (laughs) Strong Adderstein grog, blistery barnacle grog, and old lobster claw grog, of course. Of course. <laughs> Who could yeah, forget? there's a number of seafaring books um, later on. And uh, and also, I, I get the feeling that, that Jake's pulled on his experience as a sailor and was kind of really making fun of himself and his compatriots. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm also a big fan of just putting old in front of something. Yeah, especially with an E. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yes. Old. 
Yeah. <laughs> I'll never forget. I'd built in our Dungeons and Dragon campaign. I had built this like bulletin board that was essentially, you know, the town square. Here's yeah. adventures you can go on. And I was like, certainly they're going to go this way or this way or this way. But of course. We immediately. <laughs> you immediately went to go see the fortune teller whose name was Old Lumpy. <laughs> How could we turn down Old Lumpy as an adventure choice? That's... <laughs> To be fair, that's, yeah, you're right, you're right. Looking you back. <laughs> you shouldn't give us a goofy option if you don't want us to take it. <laughs> I should have had old Lumpy serve old lobster claw grog. <laughs> you should have. Uh, I... Maybe next time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, my goodness. Well, yeah, and and that's, yes, I think that's about what we have to say about Redwall. It's um it's it's very I mean even I was saying to Annie before before we did this episode like reading the book is so interesting because I I know that like I know that 1986 was a long time ago, right? This is a thing that mm-hmm. actually I'm coping with on a fairly regular basis now. Um but uh <laughs> but like the book the first book certainly reads as very old fashioned even from the standpoint of 1986 um mm-hmm. and and um in 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 a mostly delightful way mhm yeah yeah it's got a very that's why i i, I keep thinking about chronicles of narnia because there's yeah. just so many it similarities feel- yeah, yeah, it feels like he was really trying to write something that was coming out of of the World War II era and mm-hmm. I, you know, the more that I read the more I'm like, oh yeah, no, that's what he was doing. Um mm-hmm. and it's it's like it's very sweet and in some ways um very weird. Uh but I think that that's I think that that's a conversation for for a different show. Yes, yes. Um but we're always happy to have these conversations about fictional foods yes. and analyze them perhaps far too deeply or perhaps <laughs> not deeply enough, Lauren. <laughs> um, but yes, that is what we have to say for now. It is. We do have some listener mail for you, though, and we're going to get into that as soon as we get back from one more quick break for a word from our sponsors. back thank you sponsor yes thank you and we're back with fantastic yeah uh (laughs) annie and i both raised a sword i believe at the end of that yeah yes you get me lauren you get me um Sheldon wrote, before listening to it, when I saw the title of Condensed Milk, my first thoughts were that I would be able to send you something that you didn't know, something that my wife taught me over 45 years ago. She taught me something that I showed to a lot of people, and they were amazed and had never heard about it. Then I listened to the podcast and, well, darn you, Lauren. (laughs) (laughs) You also knew that trick of boiling the can of sweetened condensed milk to make caramel. Uh... (laughs) Ah. How come she's the only one I've ever met, well, sort of met, that knew that trick in over 45 years? (laughs) Still, your podcast reminded me, but again, I'm slow um, and lazy, but finally today I got some and cooked up a can for my wife who hasn't had it in almost 20 years. It was a good surprise for her. Aww. (laughs) Well, that's lovely. Look, I hadn't heard of it, so, you know... You're educating me. Uh, <laughs> I uh, I was I was taught that one by a friend of mine back in my like college slash like just slightly post college days. One of my friends from like an internet forum um, uh, taught me that one. So uh, so I just I just know too many good people. That's the problem. <laughs> That's the problem, all right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but yay. Um, 
Pappy wrote, and I hope that I'm I hope that I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, let me know if I'm not. Uh, longtime listener, uh, since you went by the former name, fellow Dungeons and Dragons player slash GM, and even longer time food lover. Seriously, most of the stories of my childhood are about times adults thought I wouldn't eat something, and then I did. But I'm writing today, hoping to inspire a future episode. On my honeymoon in Iceland, we visited the Westmire Islands, and during a celebratory dinner, I had a dessert that was basically a sorrel and moss granita. I had never eaten either sorrel or Iceland moss, and it was amazing. Flash forward to pandemic times, and I took up gardening. Uh, One of the options for seeds I could get was sorrel, and remembering the granita, I decided to give it a go. Lo and behold, it was the only thing that truly thrived, so we wound up eating it a lot. Sorrel salad, sorrel and cream fish sauce, sorrel soup, otherwise known as green borscht, oh, and sorrel pesto. Anywho, it's been making me think that if I reached my mid-30s without having heard of this food, which turns out to be delicious, versatile, nutritious, and really easy to grow, maybe more people should know about it, which is when I thought to write you. I've been meaning to do so since the summer, but, well, life. So I'm doing it now! Hope you are both well. Hope you continue to be so. Once it's an option, please come do a show in D.C., And if you ever decide to do a food-based D&D game, please use it as a fundraiser. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Oh, Um, yeah. (laughs) You're about to get bombarded, Lauren. Uh, Our friend and co-worker, Samantha, is determined to do a Dungeons & Dragons show with us. Yeah? Oh, no. Oh, she's got a whole pitch. Oh, dear. Just you wait. But my point being... It's not outside the realm of possibility. <laughs> oh, it's never been outside the realm of possibility, certainly. No, no. Um, so we'll we'll touch back in about that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And oh, and if when when Sam when Sam sets her mind to something, it usually yes. happens. So she's determined. <laughs> she has a whole plan of how she wants to do it. Oh um, anyway, goodness! All right, you'll hear. Cool, cool. <laughs> you'll hear about this. Soon. Um, also, yeah, I don't know much about sorrel i've heard of it but that's kind of the extent of it but it's to the point if it had showed up in the ingredients list and any of these quotes we were reading from Redwall, it sounds fantastical to me because oh, i don't know much about I think, it i think it was in some of the reading that i did for for this episode yeah so, yeah, yeah yeah i'm I into hope, it yeah and i hope i pronounced I, I my internet is like not working well enough for me to look up words at this juncture in in the recording um so i hope that Granita and sorrel are the ways that you say those things. Yes. Yes. I do as well. But I guess we'll find out whenever we do this episode. <laughs> yes. Um, there but you go. All those things you were making sound so delicious. Right. Oh, man. On having a successful sorrel plant. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, also, like anything pesto is basically the best. So, yes. Yes. And I want it. And I want it. <laughs> But alas, <laughs> not not right now. Not today. Not a day, but soon, hopefully. Mm-hmm. Um, thanks to both of those listeners for writing to us. If you would like to write to us, you can. Our email is hello at saverpod.com. You can also find us on social media. Uh, we are on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at saverpod, and we do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. 